0: and welcome to Moki's Birth School Online. Our free classes cover all aspects of pregnancy, birth and beyond, with experts who can answer all of your questions. Classes will take place twice a week, but you will also be able to discuss any subject on Moki's Helping Mums Facebook group. You will also be able to listen back to each session on this podcast. Do get in touch if you have any comments or questions. Please email us, helpingmums at moki.eu. In this episode, Sophie Martin, otherwise known as the Infertile Midwife, talks through pain relief.
1: Super excited to talk to you today because I had such a lovely time doing it last week, especially all the questions at the end. There were loads of questions. I'm going to try and give a little bit more time to the questions today. So if you do have any questions, just save them until the end and then type them into the chat box and I'll answer as many as I can. Um, So just a quick recap about me in case some of you didn't tune in last week. So I'm a midwife. I work in a London hospital and I've worked in a birth centre, labour ward and in a community setting. So I've had quite a wide variety of experiences. I run the Infertile Midwife Instagram page, um, which is a place where I share my own personal experiences of infertility and baby loss, and hopefully support some other women going through similar things as well. Um, and also before we start, I do really want to reiterate how important it is to go to your antenatal checkups, I know some of you might be scared to go to the hospital, but they will definitely have procedures in place so that you'll be able to be socially distant from other women. Um, And it's so important that you go to those checkups so that we can make sure that you and your baby are doing okay, especially in the third trimester. It's really important you go to your appointments. So today I'm going to cover the pain relief options that will be available to you in labour. So all drugs have potential side effects. So we will go through the risks and the benefits of the different pain relief options. So you can think about what pain relief options might be best suited to you. And we're gonna start with the more gentle methods of pain relief and then work our way up to the strongest options. So we will start with self-help methods and so things like breathing exercises now these aren't going to take the pain away but for some women they're more interested in pain management rather than pain relief so ways of coping with the pain rather than taking it away in which case breathing exercises can be really helpful during labor I did discuss this in my last session and I know it sounds obvious but it's so important to breathe whilst you're having contractions. So during a contraction, your uterus squeezes down and momentarily the blood flow to the placenta is reduced. So that's completely normal. But if you're holding your breath through the contraction, there's even less oxygen to go around. So it's super important that you don't hold your breath through the contraction that you remember to breathe. Now there's plenty of relaxation classes where you're able to learn breathing techniques, but it doesn't actually have to be complicated at all. So things just like breathing in through your nose for as long as you can, and then breathing out through your mouth, trying to make those breaths long and slow. So it can literally be that simple. Just really breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth as long as possible. And that can be a really great way of getting through each contraction. Similarly, hypnobirthing, and I know I did talk about this last time too, so it's not going to take the pain away, but it is a really great way of focusing the energy on getting through each surge. So there are a lot of breathing exercises involved, um, but they also do things like visualization techniques and relaxation, and it's quite similar to mindfulness. So I don't know if any of you have ever tried that, but um, hypnobirthing kind of encompasses all of those elements. Now, it's something that you have to prepare and practice. So it's not something that we can kind of offer to you in labour. So I can't say, oh, would you like some hypnobirthing with that paracetamol? It doesn't work that way. It's something that you have to do towards the end of the pregnancy so that you'll be prepared for the labour. So it's a bit like doing homework. And um, The more you prepare, obviously, the greater rewards you'll reap during the labour. And so there aren't a huge amount of studies into hypnobirthing. And so we can't really say for definite what the effects are. Obviously, there's no harmful effects to your baby from hypnobirthing. um, But we don't know kind of how well it it performs at helping people cope with labour because there aren't many studies. But the reason I really like it is because um, it can really help calm some of those hormones like adrenaline and cortisol and their stress hormones. Now, it is normal, actually, and natural to have some adrenaline and cortisol during the labour, but we don't want them getting bigger than the oxytocin. So, oxytocin, which is the the love hormone and also the hormone of contractions, doesn't really like cortisol and adrenaline. So, we want that cortisol and adrenaline to stay low and the oxytocin to stay high. And that's why hypnobirthing can be really helpful, because if you are nice and calm and relaxed, then obviously that oxytocin is going to come up
2: and that cortisol will come down. And also if things do start to... and So even if things really kind of flip your birth plan on, on its head, actually the
1: hypnobirthing can really help calm everything down and help you kind of process it as it happens so that you're not so frightened. Now, hypnobirthing can be learned in a number of different ways. Um, So you can attend classes. Now, obviously, at the moment, classes face-to-face aren't happening. So like us now we're doing a virtual class I do know a lot of hypnobirthing practitioners are doing something similar and um, but actually you don't even need to do a class there is a lot of cds or tracks to download from the internet or books that you can buy online and they really don't have to be expensive and um, so just have a little look read the reviews um, and yeah as I said it doesn't have to be expensive but it does um, the more you put in the more you'll get out of it another um, self-help technique which can be quite nice is massage now this is something your partner can do in labor and it really does depend on how you're feeling during the labor now some people find the pressure can be quite nice during the contractions and other people just really don't want to be touched so it can be something simple like having a foot massage or a shoulder massage or it can be more direct so pressure on the lower back during the contraction but what I suggest is getting your partner to practice during the pregnancy. And I'm sure all of you will be willing, um, willing clients so that they can perfect their technique ready for the labor. And um, so you definitely get them practicing their foot massage or their shoulder massage so that you could um, potentially use that during the labor. So that's quite a nice one as well. Again, it's not going to take the pain away, but it can be a really nice way of helping you to cope with each contraction. And now we're going to move on to um, different pain relief techniques now. So starting off with the birthing pool. Now, these are really popular at the moment, but there haven't been a huge number of studies into birthing pools. Now, out of the small studies that have been done, um, it's been shown that if you use a pool, then you're less likely to need an epidural. And then there are some reports that you'll find the labour less painful as well if you get into the pool. Now the water shouldn't be hotter than 37.5 degrees and it shouldn't be colder than 36.5 degrees. Um, And that's because we want it to be around body temperature so that you're not overheating. And also so that when the baby comes out, they're born into a similar body temperature. So we don't want them to come out into cold water because they'll get cold. And and likewise, we don't want them to be born into hot water as well. Um, But if you are using a pool in the hospital, the midwife will be checking the temperature throughout. So you don't need to worry about that. Obviously, if you're planning to use a pool at home, make sure that you've got a thermometer to check the temperature of the water. Um, We can listen to your baby's heart whilst whilst you're in the pool as well. So um, the Dopplers are waterproof Um, and then a lot of um, maternity units will have a wireless CTG monitor, which I did talk about last week as well, sometimes known as a telemetry. So if you do need continuous monitoring of your baby's heartbeat during the labour, then ask your midwife if they've got these wireless machines because that means you would still be able to get into the pool and so that's a really nice way of compromising between having that monitoring but still being mobile and, and getting in the pool. Um, And then also to mention with the pool, now for some hospitals it's policy to protect the perineum as the baby's being born, so that's when the midwife will put her hand on your perineum as the baby comes out, just to make sure that the baby comes out nice and slowly. Um, but this can't happen if you're giving birth in the pool. So if that's, if that's something that you want to have, so if you want the midwife to protect your perineum, then it's a good idea to get out of the pool to give birth. Um, and there's actually no conclusive evidence either way about the risk of tearing whilst you use the pool. Um, and a lot of women will labour in the pool and then get out to give birth and others will choose to stay in the pool to give birth. And one good thing about the pool is you can also use gas and air whilst you're in there. And I'll talk a bit more about gas and air in a minute. Um,
2: but yeah, you can use the pool and the gas so that you're using more than one pain relief. Um, we'll talk a little bit now about the TENS machine. Now, I did talk it a little bit last week, so I'll go through it in
1: a bit more detail today. Now, it stands for transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulation it's really good for the early or the latent phase of labor which we covered last time so that that stage where you're not quite in active labor and so you're still at home that's a really good time to put the tens machine on now you can buy or rent the machines and it's a little handheld device with some wires that come out and you put four sticky pads on your back Um, And you want to put it on nice and early, as I mentioned. So when you start feeling uncomfortable and the way that they work is they send a small electrical impulse down the wires and it can feel like a bit of tingling or a buzzing sensation. And how it works is that impulse shoots down your nerves a lot quicker than the pain sensation from the contraction. So it blocks that pain sensation. So it stops that pain signal getting to your brain because it's quicker. So the TENS machines have got different settings. So when you pop it on, you'll put it on the lowest setting. And then as the contractions get more intense, you can turn them up. So when you feel that contraction coming, you're gonna press the boost button, and then that will start giving you some more intense kind of nerve stimulation. And then you turn that off once the contractions ended, but you are in complete control um, and you can turn it up or down as you need but you can't use it whilst you're in the pool or the bath, just to be clear. Obviously, it's using electrical impulses, and we don't want you having any shocks, and obviously the machines aren't made for that. So um, if you're going to pop in the pool or the bath, you can take it off, and then once you get out, and you're nice and dry, you can pop it back on again. Really, really good pain relief for the machine. And then Entinox. So this is more commonly known as gas and air, and it's a mix of 50% nitrous oxide and 50% oxygen. So you inhale the gas through a mouthpiece and it's available in all birth settings, including at home birth. And to use it effectively, you want to only use it when you're having a contraction. So when that contraction starts to build up, you're gonna start breathing it in. And once it's finished, you're gonna stop using it. And then in between the contractions, you just breathe regular air. Now it starts working almost straight away and then wears off when you stop breathing it some of the side effects are that it can make you feel a little bit nauseous or a little bit lightheaded. but the really really great thing about internox is that because it wears off quite quickly the side effects wear off quite quickly so if you do start to feel a little bit nauseous and stop breathing it have a few big deep breaths of normal air and then that nausea should start to wear away and you should feel better again It can also give you quite a dry mouth breathing the gas and air so make sure that in between each contraction that you're having sips of water and also that you pack a lip balm in your bag as well because um, constantly breathing the gas and air can give you a really dry mouth. So you can use it at any time during the labour but if you're using it from very very early on it can make you quite tired constantly having to um, breathe on the mouthpiece. Um, But one really good thing is that it doesn't have any effect on the baby. So it's a really, really safe pain relief to use. Paracetamol. I'm sure all of you have heard of paracetamol. So this is best used in the early or the latent phase of labour. It's probably not going to cut the mustard in the later stages of labour. But whilst you're at home, when it's not quite time to go to the hospital yet, this is a really good time to use it. Um, It's also the first choice of painkiller for women whilst they're pregnant because we know that it's safe, it hasn't got any harmful effects to mum or baby. Obviously with all medication, please don't take it if you have any allergies. Now you normally take paracetamol in tablet form, Um, it's normally one gram which is usually two tablets but obviously check the dosage on your packet and you can take it every four to six hours but no more than four times in 24 hours. Um, And obviously just make sure you're following
2: the instructions on the packet.
1: And then we've got codeine. So codeine is a really mild opioid. So it does have um, similar side effects to other opioids, which we'll cover shortly. But obviously it's much milder, so they're they're, they're really not as strong. And codeine is another oral painkiller, so it's another tablet. And, and you can either take codeine on its own, or you can have a tablet of codeine which has been mixed with paracetamol. So if you are taking codeine mixed with paracetamol, please don't take paracetamol as well, and this obviously you'll be taking too much. Now, it is stronger than paracetamol, but again, it is probably better for the earlier stages of labor, as it's really unlikely to take all of the pain away. Um, but again, it's a really safe, good, tablet medication to take especially in that early stage of labor when you're not
2: quite ready for the stronger pain relief but you still need something just to take the edge off so now we're going to talk about some of the slightly
1: stronger pain relief options that are available to you and we're going to start with opioids now these are really great pain relief options um, and it's commonly Pephidine or dimorphine, they're usually the drugs that are used, so just check which one your hospital uses, although they are very similar. And they are usually given as an injection into your thigh or your bottom, and they can be made available at home births as well. Now, these are best given in the earlier stage of labour, and this is because pethidine and dimorphine and other opioids do cross the placenta, so that they can make your baby a little bit drowsy or have a bit of respiratory depression at birth and for a little while afterwards. So we don't want this happening in the baby. So to avoid that happening, the midwife is gonna assess how likely it is that you're gonna give birth within the next few hours. So if the midwife thinks you're gonna give birth shortly, she's really not gonna advise you having the opioids. She's gonna suggest you try something different. But if the midwife thinks that actually the birth is still a little way away, it's a really great option for people that need something stronger than the paracetamol and codeine but don't want to have an epidural. So they work by making you feel really lovely and relaxed. And actually some people will be able to sleep whilst you're having the contractions. So that can be really nice if you've been contracting for quite a long time and you're feeling really tired, but obviously the contractions are keeping you awake. And sometimes having some pethidine or some time can just really give you that chance to rest. So the side effects for you are drowsiness, nausea and vomiting. So with this in mind, mostly we mix it with an anti-sick medication so that you're not getting those horrible nausea and vomiting. Um, And then just to make sure that you're staying safe as well, we wouldn't recommend you get into the pool within two hours of having a pethidine or dimorphine. And that's obviously just because you're very drowsy, so we don't want you to be falling asleep whilst you're in the pool. Not everyone does have the drowsiness either, obviously side effects not everyone's going to experience them, but this is just to let you know some of the things that you might happen. I do actually hear quite a lot of bad press about opioids, so like pethidine and dimorphin, and um, and that's because I think some of the side effects can sound a little bit scary, so making your baby sleepy and things like that. But in reality, obviously, we just want to keep you and your baby as safe as we can so we really wouldn't be giving it to you if we thought your baby was going to come out sleepy so that would be at the end of the labour if you're very early on in the labour then we we think it's a really good time to be giving it Obviously, if the baby is sleepy, um, it can make it difficult for them to initiate breastfeeding. So we try to avoid them coming out sleepy. And if they were incredibly sleepy, then there is um, some medication that we can give to counteract that as well. Um, So don't be frightened of opioids. They are really, really great medication. They are safe
2: to use, otherwise we wouldn't give them. But obviously, they do have these side effects to just be aware of as well. The next thing I'm going to talk about is something called a PCA, so a patient-controlled analgesia.
1: So a PCA is a pump that's attached to a drip in your vein, and you'll be given a button to press every time you want to administer the pain relief. They have a lockout, so you can't overdose on them. And usually the drug that is used is called something, something called remifentanil, these aren't very commonly used in labor, but for some people, if they're unable to have an epidural or a spinal, then it might've already been discussed in pregnancy that this is the best type of pain relief for you. So we will go through it because it might be that you do need to have one. Now remifentanil is an opioid, so it has similar side effects to the pethidine and the dimorphine that I just mentioned. and um, So it can make you sleepy and nauseous. So again, we would give you anti sickness medication if that was happening. Um, and it can make the baby a bit sleepy after birth as well so that's why it has to be really carefully um, assessed who's suitable to have the remifentanil um, and if you are having a pca pump then there'll be a few extra checks on you because it can slow down your breathing and um, but a uh, pca remifentanil does wear off really really quickly and it doesn't have any long-term side effects so if you were um, due to have a pca pump it's something that would have been discussed during the pregnancy because it's not that usual to have in labor and so it's not something that you would um, be offered
2: usually unless there were some reason that you couldn't have a stronger pain relief so now i'm going to talk about epidurals and spinals and so obviously the strongest
1: um, Pain relief that we have for labour. And I'm going to talk about them separately because they're slightly different. And then I'll also cover the CSE, which is something called a combined spinal and epidural. So I'll go through all three of those things as well, starting with the epidural. So epidurals are only available in obstetric units, so they're not available in the low risk midwifery settings. So if you do want an epidural, you'll either have to start off in the obstetric unit or you'll have to be transferred there as well. And this is because they're just slightly more complicated than the other pain relief options that we've already discussed. And they need to be administered by an anesthetist. And then there's an extra few checks that will be done on you whilst you've got the epidural in place. So you'll need a cannula in your hand or your arm so that you can have a drip of fluids. And this is because sometimes the epidural can cause your blood pressure to drop, in which case giving you fluids will help stabilise this. And when you have an epidural, we check your blood pressure really regularly just to see if you are having that drop in blood pressure. So to cite an epidural, so to get the epidural in situ, Your anaesthetist is going to ask you to curl up like a prawn. So um, pushing your back out as if you're trying to kiss the top of your bump. Um, And they'll be feeling your back to make sure that they're finding the correct place to pop the needle in. And then they give you some local anaesthetic just to slightly numb your back as well. So then once you are in that right position, sometimes people say it's an angry cat, I think prawn, but whatever floats your boat. Um, once you are in that position, the anaesthetist is going to pop a needle into your back and then they put a very thin tube through the needle. They take the needle away, but then the tube stays in your back. So there is no needle in your back. It, it's, it's just a tube that stays in there. And then this tube is what allows the drugs to be administered. So the anaesthetist will give you an initial dose down that tube, and within half an hour, you should be really nice and comfortable. You'll then be able to top up the epidural with further medication if you begin to feel any breakthrough pain or discomfort. Again, similarly to the PCA, it has a lockout, so you can't overdose yourself. But the more epidural mix that you use, so the more times you top up, the heavier your legs are gonna become. So it doesn't make the first stage of your labour longer. So if you remember from last week, the first stage is from four centimetres up until fully dilated. But it can make the second stage longer. And if you um, don't remember from last time, the second stage is when you're fully dilated up until the point where you give birth. So it can make that stage longer. If you do have an epidural, it doesn't increase your chance of having a cesarean section, but it does increase your chance of having an instrumental delivery. So that's a kiwi or a von- uh, forceps or von- to use. Um, And I'll talk about those in my session next week as well. With the epidural, you should try and be as mobile as you possibly can. Um, now, this depends on how heavy your block is. So for some people, they will be able to be fairly active. And for other people, the block will be quite strong. So you'll have quite limited mobility. Um, and I did mention last week as well, if you've got an epidural and you're finding it really difficult to move around, ask your midwife if they've got something called a peanut ball. So it's a birthing ball, but shaped like a peanut, so kind of a big bit like an hourglass shape um, and they can be really really great at keeping you and helping keep your legs open so that baby will come down into the birth canal and because if you aren't able to move around we still want that obviously nice descent into the pelvis so ask about the peanut ball if you aren't able to be mobile. And if you are struggling to be mobile, you'll need to have a catheter popped into your bladder. And again, we discussed this last week. We need your bladder to be nice and empty. We don't want it to be full during the labour. And that is because it can block the baby. So if you've got a full bladder, your baby won't be able to descend into the pelvis. And also if you've got a full bladder, we don't want there to be any um, damage to the bladder. Having a catheter inserted is a really quick procedure and it shouldn't be painful. And so if you're not able to get up and walk around or you're not able to pee, you'll be having a catheter as well. Now, when your epidural is fully functioning, you will still be able to feel touch, but you won't be able to feel pain. So you might be aware that you're having a contraction, but it won't feel painful. So you might feel your tummy going hard and then soft again but you won't feel that pain that you had had previously. And if you do end up needing a caesarean, the anaesthetist will give you a really big dose down the epidural to make sure that you're really numb for the procedure. And then we'll just quickly go through some of the side effects that are associated with having an epidural. Now, some of these will sound quite scary, um, but they aren't very common, and I'll I'll, I'll tell you kind of how common they are. Having an epidural is not associated with having any long-term back problems. Whilst you've got the epidural, you might find that you're quite itchy and that's a completely normal side effect. Um, And for some people, they'll feel quite shivery as well. Again, that's quite normal. The epidural can sometimes give you a little fever, so it can raise your body temperature slightly as well. One in a hundred women will get a very severe headache after having an epidural, but this sort of headache can be treated. I've already mentioned the drop in blood pressure and that is about one in 50 women who will get that. So it is fairly common. Um, But as I said, you'll have the fluids, the drip in your hand already, so that if you do get that drop in blood pressure that we can just um, increase the fluids and get that blood pressure up a little bit as well. Sometimes the epidural doesn't work first time, so your anaesthetist might have to recite it or pop another one in. And again, that's fairly common, that's around between happens 1 to 10 to 20 women. So in one in 10 to 20 cases, one woman might ha- one woman might have to have a second epidural popped in. Now, in terms of some of the severe side effects, we'll just go through those, but again, they are really rare, so please don't be frightened. Um, in terms of nerve damage, about Out of 1,000 to 2,000 women, approximately one will get some temporary nerve damage. And then in terms of permanent nerve damage, again, really rare, but out of 24,000 women, one would have permanent nerve damage. Um, and then one of the last side effects is meningitis, because obviously um, going into your spinal fluid can go up to your brain. And um, so getting meningitis really rare. So one in 100,000 women will develop meningitis after having an epidural. So those three last ones are a little bit scary, um, but so, so, so unlikely to happen. Obviously, the most common ones are the drop in blood pressure and having to have a second epidural cited. Um, epidural are all cited by really experienced anaesthetists, so junior anaesthetists actually aren't, don't usually work on labour wards um, because we only want the most experienced anaesthetists there, so please don't worry. Um, but obviously it is really important for you to understand any procedure that you're having and all the risks involved. And then um, we're going to talk now about a spinal. So a spinal is similar to an epidural, but there are a few important differences. A spinal is a one-off injection into your back, whereas the epidural has that tube that stays in your back, that in the spinal, nothing stays in your back. And if you're having a cesarean section, this is the pain relief that you usually have. Um, and it is injected into a slightly different space in your back to the epidural, but obviously you don't need to worry about that. So that's the need to, to work out. Now with this spinal, you will be numb from kind of the bottom of your breasts downwards um, and they work a lot quicker than the epidural, but they do tend to have a much heavier block. And by that, I mean, um, you won't be able to move your legs pretty much at all. So um, you you probably won't be able to have any sensation, um, although you might feel some touch. Actually, the spinals do tend to be so strong that you won't be able to move your legs and you might not be able to feel them at all. In terms of side effects, really similar to the epidural. So the risk, um, obviously, of the severe headaches and the nerve damage, and also that, that drop in blood pressure too. So the, the, um,
2: the risks of having a spinal are very similar to an epidural. I'm just gonna have a bit of water before we start about the CSE. So the combined spinal and epidural
1: so this is used if you need pain relief on board really rapidly and that is because a spinal as i said just a second ago works a lot faster than the epidural Um, and obviously epidurals take a bit longer so um if we really need to get you nice and comfortable very quickly the anaesthetist will do a spinal first so that you've got that not quite instantaneous but within a few minutes you'll be really nice and comfortable And then they do the epidural afterwards just because the epidural takes a bit longer to sight but then also a little bit longer to work as well and again it's the same side effects that we've already talked about so severe headaches um, and dropping blood pressure and then obviously really rare risk of nerve damage and things like that. Um, not hugely common in my hospital to have a, a combined spinal and epidural, but I, other hospitals will do them routinely instead of an epidural, they'll just do a combined spinal and epidural. So check what your hospital does. Um, again, they're all. Um, although this, the side effects do sound really scary, they are all very safe procedures done by very experienced practitioners. And then lastly, because I wanted to give as much time to questions as possible. And we're going to talk about a general anaesthetic. So really not very commonly used whilst you're pregnant, but occasionally people will have a general anaesthetic. And the reasons that people will have those is if for some reason that you can't have an epidural and a spinal um, and the remifentanil, which I discussed earlier, isn't appropriate, then it might be that the general anaesthetic is the best option for you. Or if we need to do a really urgent caesarean and the doctors don't think that there's enough time to do a spinal or an epidural, then we would pop you to sleep. But mostly we like to keep you awake because we want you to be conscious to meet your baby. So um, they're not done very often. If you do have a general anaesthetic, um, your partner isn't usually allowed to come into theatre with you similarly to the opioids your baby can come out a little bit sleepy if you've had a general anaesthetic and obviously you'll feel groggy and nauseous when you wake up as well and then you'll also need some further pain relief when you wake up too risks associated are things like nausea and vomiting which is very common but again anti-sickness medication can be given to stop this you might feel a bit sore when you wake up obviously particularly around your mouth and your throat is quite common after you've had a general anaesthetic and then some of the more rare side effects um if the anesthetist can't get the breathing tube into into your windpipe so that's not very not very common but about one in 250 people um actually a fairly common risk of infection but these are very mostly very very mild um, infections that's about one in a 100 um One risk is acid going from your stomach into your lungs, and that's about one in a thousand people. Um, But if we know that you're going to have a general anaesthetic, we'll give you an antacid, either a tablet or a drink, to try and prevent this happening. Um, And actually most women, before they're having a cesarean, will take this routinely anyway. Um, So again, we try and kind of prevent that happening. Having an allergy to the medication, that's really rare, about one in 10,000 people. And then obviously there is some very rare side, um, side effects like brain damage, things like that. And they're so rare, only about one or two people a year in the UK will have that. And I know that sounds really, really scary, but obviously it's really important that you do know all of the risks to any medical procedure you undertake. And... um. Actually, before you're having um, any kind of general anaesthetic or epidural or spinal, um, your anaesthetist should be going through the risks with you. Um, and then obviously with the things like pethidine and um, dimorphine, then your midwife should be going through those risks with you. Um, but obviously on a much happier note, obviously hopefully you won't need to have a general anaesthetic so that you can give your your baby a lovely cuddle obviously, as soon as they are born. So that was quite quick. So please... Um, I'm going to do the questions in a minute. So if you want me to go through any of those bits, just let me know. And um, but in summary, we've gone through the various types of pain relief that might be offered to you. And um, just check what your and um, check with your midwife what's available at your hospital. But they're kind of the a kind of um, snapshot of all of the pain reliefs and then there are certain ones that your hospital might use more frequently or they might not use. Um, and then there is a really, really good website which has been made by the Obstetric Anaesthetists Association. So they're the um, anaesthetists that work mainly in labour wards, and it's called Labour Pains. Um, and if you have a look on there, they've got some really, really good leaflets for patients about all of the different pain relief options too. So i'm just going to have a
2: breather and then we will answer some of the questions i think there's already some questions as ready okay i'm gonna have a drink and then i'll do the questions so the first question is due
1: to coronavirus i've been told by my midwife that i can't use the pool um so i'm really sorry that your midwife said that you can't use the pool and um, did she did she give you a reason why and um, because If you read the RCOG um, website, it it, uh, it recommends not using a pool if you've got confirmed or suspected coronavirus, but if you don't have confirmed or suspected coronavirus, actually, you should be able to use one. Um, So just check why your hospital's saying you can't. Is it because they've closed their birth center and there's no pools available, or is it, because they don't have the staff or or just check why. Because um, if if you haven't got coronavirus or it's not suspected, actually, um, you can still have a pull to labor. The next question was, does codeine impact your baby? So codeine, as I said before, is a really, really mild opioid. and So the side effects really aren't as strong as pethidine and dimorphine now obviously there is always the potential but actually we don't really um expect there to be any side effects on your baby not in the same way as there would be for the stronger opioids so the pethidine and the dimorphine Next question is, how, how much paracetamol can you take? So um, you usually buy paracetamol in um, 500 milligram tablets and you take two at a time. So you're taking one gram and you can take that every four to six hours, but obviously check the packet. But yeah, you take um, normally two t- tablets, which is one gram every four to six hours. The next question is, are you more likely to tear with an epidural? Um, so there's actually no research that suggests that you are more likely to tear with an epidural and um, and actually when you've got an epidural it depends how strong your block is so how how strong the mix is so how 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 much feeling you've got so um what i spoke about earlier with like protecting the perineum and things like that your midwife is going to be telling you at the time of delivery um, to pant which we talked about last time so to try and get that baby to come out nice and slowly. So there's no evidence to suggest that you're going to, more likely to have a tear with an epidural. Um, I think it's about how controlled the delivery is. So um, making sure that you're listening to your midwife and just breathing that baby out. Do I need to let the midwife know that I want an epidural as soon as I get to the maternity unit? Um, So usually hospitals will either have a low risk setting in a high risk setting um, and you should be able to go straight to that setting or depends how it works you might go through your triage first and obviously you'll let them know that you want to go to the labor ward or the delivery suite where the epidural is available so tell them obviously when you get there that you want to go to that area and um, obviously it might not be appropriate for you to have the epidural when you're getting there obviously if you're not in active labor um so definitely let them know that you would like one so that they can make sure that you're going to the right area definitely what drugs are used in an epidural? So that's a really good question, actually. Um, it, it is different for each hospital. I know that at my hospital, we use fentanyl, which is similar to the remifentanyl that I mentioned before. And um, it's usually a mix of drugs and each hospital will have a different mix, but we, we use fentanyl at my hospital can you request a milder epidural or do you just get what you're given? That's also a really, really good question because at my hospital, our epidural block is incredibly heavy. Um, So, people do end up with a really heavy block and people don't tend to be able to move around so much um and other hospitals do do a much much milder dose and again it's really worth speaking to the anaesthetist it's not the midwife who'll be in charge of the dose and um usually that loading dose that initial dose they put down there is a set dose but then If you're not topping up the epidural, the side effects aren't going to be so strong, so that um, block isn't going to be as strong. Um, Some trusts will do a walking epidural, which means they are using a much milder dose so that you are able to walk. Obviously it's called a walking epidural. Um, So have a little check. That's a really, really good question um, because
2: some hospitals, like my my hospital, do a really heavy block. Um, So check what your hospital does. Um, someone said, "Can I tell us about the side effects from forceps and other instrumentals delivery?" So I
1: am actually going to do a session on that next week. So I won't, won't go into huge, um, I won't go into huge detail about that now because I'm going to talk about that next time. Um, but in terms of having a kiwi or ventouse or forceps, um, obviously damage to your pelvic floor. Um, damage uh, you're more likely to need an episiotomy and more likely to have a bigger tear um, and bleeding and things like that um but i will do a whole session on that next time so that we cover that fully and um, the next question is i've got permanent nerve damage from a back issue could this increase my risk of further nerve damage if i had an epidural and um, what i would recommend is that you if you've not already had this, that you're referred to an anesthetist during the pregnancy. And then what they do is go through all of your notes so that they can look at this nerve damage. And then they'll also look at your back too. Um, And then they will be able to advise whether you are at extra risk, obviously, I don't have the full history, so it's really hard for me to answer. But if you've not already been um, referred to an anesthetist, ask your midwife to do a referral to an anesthetist
2: so that you've got you've had a consultation before you go into labour. Obviously, we don't want to be waiting until labour to making these decisions. The next question is about the severe headache from the epidural.
1: Um, when does it start? So. It usually starts within a few hours of birth um, and it does you can have treatment for it and it's something called a blood patch um, and actually drinking caffeine can be really helpful with the severe headache and when I say severe headache, I mean it's absolutely debilitating, so most people can only lay flat when they're having this headache it's quite a significant headache. I actually had this after I had my um cervix operation it was absolutely excruciating so you can only lay flat if you sit upright it, your head feels like it's going to explode so you're absolutely right it is the last thing you want with a newborn but it does um, usually show itself fairly quickly um, and the treatment is it is called a blood patch so we take a little bit of blood and then put it into your um the spot where you had the spinal and then it is you lay still for a little bit and then it's usually gone and um, so in terms of drugs, we don't really give you drugs apart from encouraging you to drink caffeine and then we would do the blood patch if it was really severe. I didn't have to have a blood patch, but if anyone has had this
2: dual headache, it's excruciating and I feel, I feel you because it was horrible. The next question is, can you go through the pain relief options? And yes, so.
1: What this question is is, can you try multiple pain relief and absolutely you can, and what we actually tend to recommend is that you start off with some of the milder forms of pain relief and um, because actually they might be enough for you. you might not need the strongest pain relief actually you might find that the gas and air on its own is absolutely what you need and um, so you can definitely do more than one pain relief option um and then just to mention with the opiates so the Pethidine and dimorphine there is usually a two hour window where you wouldn't be allowed the epidural so if you are having the pethidine and dimorphine just bear in mind that there might be a little delay in you having the epidural just because obviously we don't want to be really kind of making you very drowsy and full of drugs so if you're having it is trust dependent i know we say two hours but other hospitals might say different but um so if you have had the opiate, or opioids then you will have a little weight if you did want the epidural but yes you can try all of them um, so you can start off with the gas and air then try the opioids then the epidurals and um, definitely and it sometimes is more beneficial to start with the milder ones because actually they might be enough. Next question is, is the epidural provided in labour ward? Um, so in my hospital, the high-risk area is called labour wards. In other places, it might be called delivery suite. The epidural is only available in the obstetric unit, so the high-risk areas or the, the doctor-led areas. It's not available in the midwifery-led area. So if you are in a midwifery-led area and you want to have an epidural, then your midwife will arrange for you to be transferred across. It's really easy, so don't let that put you off starting in the midwifery unit. Um, most of the midwifery units are fairly close by to an obstetric unit and transferring you there is very easy. Um, so you don't let that put you off because it doesn't mean that you won't be allowed the epidural, it just means we'll have to take you there to have the epidural, but it's very easy. So yeah, definitely, if you want to start in the midwifery led unit and see how you go and then if it does become a
2: bit much, you can absolutely go to the obstetric unit. What is the most common pain relief options for
1: birth? I think that's really dependent on where you want to give birth. So obviously I would say epidural is a very, very common one. And so is gas and air. Pethidine and dimorphine do get a bit of a bad rap. A lot of people are quite anxious to try them, which I think is understandable. But as I said, we wouldn't be giving them if we thought that there was going, it was too late in the labour. Um, And you quite like the idea of the pool and the gas. Absolutely. So, um, if you're in like a midwifery led setting and um, all you know those women are trying to give birth without the epidural so using things like the pool and the gas and air in combination is a really really great idea um, and you can get in and out of the pool you can use the gas when you need to so really really great great idea can the epidural be stopped or turned off that's a really good question and um, so If you stop pressing the button your patient control to top up the epidural then it is going to eventually wear off. Now because it takes a little while to kick in we do try and say keep on top of the pain so don't let it fully wear off because then you're going to have a bit of a break before you can be comfortable again. But some women actually do like to be feeling some of the pain at birth and um, in which case they will let it wear off a little bit. Now the brilliant thing about the epidural is that it is mostly patient controlled. So after that initial dose you're controlling how much you have. So if you what don't want if you want it to be quite mild then don't press the button very often or if you want to just really top yourself up with loads of medications so that you're really numb again absolutely your, that's your choice and you you can't overdose yourself so you can give yourself as much as you want or you need and um, the, the next part of the question is would you be able to go in the pool after having the epidural and um, so that is actually a little bit unlikely a, depending on how heavy your block is but then also um obviously we've made a hole into your back which goes into your spine and that is a we really don't want you to be getting an infection in there because that's how you're going to get meningitis and things like that. So it probably wouldn't be recommended to get into the pool after having the epidural, even if it had worn off, because then you've got that risk of infection which would go straight into your spinal cord. So that is a no. So Amy has said, you've got paracetamol, would codeine be provided at the hospital yeah and paracetamol as well so you wouldn't need to bring paracetamol with you just take that at home and but obviously when you get to the hospital let them know how much paracetamol you've had and then the codeine again yeah we'll give that to you when you're there you don't need to have that um you don't need to take that in with you you don't need to take any of that with you Oh, another really good question. Will having a tattoo on my spine make it harder to place the epidural? And the answer is no, it won't. And that is because the anesthetist is feeling your back. They actually, obviously they're looking where they put the needle, but when they're working out where they need to put it, it's all done with feel. So they'll be feeling for your hip bones and then working out They feel into your hip bones and then they work along and try and find the exact space in between your spine. So, no, it won't make a difference having a sassy there. And I've seen all sorts of sassies and it's never caused a problem. But that was a really good question. Um, At what time during labour is it best to enter the pool as it might slow down labour? Yeah, another really great question. Um, It's definitely best to get into the pool during active labour, so that's when you're at least four centimetres. If you're less than that, you're absolutely right, it might slow down the labour, it depends. So a lot of women will have a bath at home in early labour just to try and kind of have a little bit of pain relief before you're coming to the hospital, but it might cause those contractions to, um, to, to fade a little bit if you are in the pool and we think the contractions are slowing down often what we'll do is we'll just get you out of the pool and you know do some squats do a little bit of getting the birthing ball and, and then once that those contractions are picked up again you can just get back in and you can get in and out of the pool as many times as you need to so that was a great question so and um, we definitely usually say active labor which is at least four centimeters having those regular contractions for the pool but that doesn't mean you can't get into it before but um, you are right if you're getting in before it might slow the contractions down slightly. Another really good question, will you still have the urge to push with the epidural? Now that depends on how much, how heavy your block is, so how much you press that button. So for some people, they won't realise they're having contractions and actually us midwives will be telling you, you're having a contraction and it's time to push um, and for other women they will have really good sensation or will absolutely know that they need to push and um, so it really depends on how much medication you've taken so yeah completely different but for some women they will absolutely have no idea that they need to push and for other women they will have a really good understanding now the epidural does relax the pelvic floor so um it, it it's not the same urge that you might be getting without the epidural, but it really depends, as I said, on how much you've pushed the button or how much epidural you've given yourself. But a really, that was a really good question. Can I take codeine at home, or is it best to is it best to wait to get into the hospital? And um, if you've been prescribed codeine for labour and you've got some at home, then yeah, you can take it at home. And um, I mean it is safe to take at home it is it's a quite a regular medication but always just make sure you know how much you've taken so that when you get to the hospital you can tell the midwives um, and then also just make sure that you know you know exactly what is on the packet and if you're not sure show the midwife um, you know in one of your appointments but yeah it would be fine to take codeine at
2: home if you've got it um, but it's not very common to have codeine outside of a hospital setting um, Someone's put, they're allergic to codeine, so should they avoid all other
1: opiates? That's quite a good question. Um, there's not really a definite answer for that one because it depends what sort of reaction you had to the codeine. So if it was just nausea and vomiting, that's actually um, more of a side effect than an allergy, in which case it might be fine for you to try the um, stronger opioids. It depends what your reaction was. Obviously, if you're having anaphylaxis, then I would definitely, um, be cautious about giving you dimorphine or pethidine, but check with your anesthetist that would be a that's quite a good question check with your anesthetist and also it depends what your um allergic reaction was so it's quite difficult to answer that question can you combine pain relief methods like codeine and the tens machine yes absolutely so you can do your paracetamol and your tens machine and you can the only ones you can't combine is the epidural and the pool and the tens machine and the pool obviously those ones don't mix but pretty much you can combine all of the others now obviously if you've got an epidural we're not going to be giving you pethidine at the same time you won't need any of the other pain reliefs, but in, yep, you can have codeine in the pool, you can have um, paracetamol in the pool, you can have paracetamol on the tensor machine. Yeah, there's loads of combinations. Um, the next question is about perineal massage. Um, so perineal massage isn't going to ease the pain during labour, it's not a pain relief um, method, but what it is trying to do is try and prevent you having the big third and fourth degree tears. Um, So 80% of people will get some perineal trauma during the birth, whether that's a tiny graze or whether that is one of the larger tears. And um, perineal massage is a really effective way of reducing your risk of um, having one of those bigger tears. Um, I can definitely cover this in the latest session so I'm not sure I have a huge amount of time to go into it but if you're not sure what perineal massage is it is massaging the perineum so that's the bit of muscle and skin in between your vagina and your anus um, and what you need to do is use a lubricant you do not need to buy massage oil just to make that clear you can just use regular um, Oil that you would use to eat so like olive oil any natural based oil olive oil coconut oil you don't need to waste money on the perineal oils a lot of them have got sugar in and things like that which is more likely to give you a yeast infection so I would steer clear of those and just go for a natural oil and what you want to do is if you're doing it on yourself I'm going to do a demonstration so you're going to put your thumbs into your vagina and press down and then you're going to stretch outwards I don't know if you see that so you are putting your thumbs down and then stretching outwards and it should feel a little bit uncomfortable. I can see a few of you doing the actions. Um, so you're putting your thumbs down and then stretching. And it should, yeah, it should be a little bit uncomfortable, but it shouldn't hurt. And it can be a bit tricky to do it on yourself if you've got a bump in the way. So some people will get their partner to do it, in which case they would put two fingers in and press down and then stretch outwards as well. Um, and that is a really good way of preventing tearing during labour. Someone but have I got a view on the theory of taking paracies more in the early stage of labour, making leading to a longer labour? So there hasn't been a huge amount of studies into that, but that is a fairly hot topic in midwifery at the moment. Um, We just don't have enough research, so there have been a couple of studies that suggest that if you're taking paracetamol in the early stage of labour, it can make the labour longer, but the research is kind of inconclusive at the moment, so we we would still recommend taking paracetamol if you're needing something to take the edge off it. We don't have enough data to say that it definitely makes labour longer, but yeah, that's that's a hot topic, so um, someone's been doing their homework. Is it standard to have a meeting with the anaesthetist before the day of birth? No, it's not. So unless you've got some sort of spinal problem or um, there's a specific reason that you would need to see an anaesthetist, most women will not see an anaesthetist until the day that they go in and have their baby. So whether that's either having a cesarean or um, they're going into labour and they need an epidural. So that would usually be the times that you meet your anaesthetist Um, but as I said if there are some reasons that you need to see an anaesthetist before you can arrange it with your midwife Um, but they should have referred you if there's a reason so yeah usually people with spinal problems or um neurological problems things like that they'll have an anaesthetist appointment during the during the pregnancy How common are births with an epidural compared to births with gas and air only? So that is dependent on your hospital because each hospital will have really varying statistics. Um, I know that at my hospital, we have um, a birth centre where we have a midwifery ledge unit, which we have obviously really, really great rates of women just using gas and air or the pool. And then we've got a high risk um, labour ward where... uh, a high number of women will have the epidural. So it's really dependent on your hospital, but um, I don't really think one is better than the other. It's whatever you want from your labor experience. So for some women, they're just really happy to have a really pain-free experience and other women really want to you know, do the labor without any pain relief.
2: And I just think whatever works for you is, is what's gonna work for you. Um, is pain relief from the birthing pool
1: experience more effective than the tens machine and um, so in terms of research we know that tens machine are less effective in the later stages of labor which is what I've mentioned before so putting them on on the early stage of labor so yeah the birthing pool would definitely be considered a better pain relief for the active stages of labor um, but as I said once you, you can do both of those things so you could do your tens machine in the early stage of labor and then once you're needing something a bit stronger you can pop into the pool um, and then you can always get out again um, and dry yourself and then pop the tens machine back on again so you know it's a a fluid a fluid um experience you're gonna try some things if they don't work for you you can try something else can i give have a water birth on a labour ward because you're not allowed to give birth in the midwifery led setting and that really is dependent on why you're having your baby on the labour ward so there might be some really specific risks that mean that you're not able to use a pool and most labour wards will have a pool available as well, so just check with your midwife and also ask why. Why have you been recommended to give birth on the high risk um, or the obstetric unit rather than midwifery-led unit? Um, but as I said, if you need, if it's just for continuous monitoring, ask if they've got the wireless or the telemetry to see if you can compromise. So just have a little um, ask your midwife exactly what they can offer you. Well, someone's got you're terrified of childbirth. I'm so sorry to hear that. Um, I know that's not your question. I'll come to your question in a minute, but um, I think it's really normal to have a little bit of trepidation about obviously having a baby and giving birth, but I don't think it's normal to be completely terrified of giving birth. And so what I would like to say is see if you can be referred to like a birth trauma specialist um, or, if, or if they've got a specialist at your hospital that can help you with that fear because it's really not nice to be dreading the day that you're going to meet your baby. As I said, I think it's normal to have a little bit of fear, but to be completely terrified, I think that's just a really hard way to go through the remaining of your pregnancy. Um, And then there's a really good website called tell me a good birth story, which is only good birth stories and they're births of all descriptions. So vaginal birth, cesarean birth. So have a look on there. And, but your question was, is it worth going straight for the epidural? And it really depends what you want. If you're specifically frightened of the pain, then yes, an epidural would be a really good option for you. And if there's something else that's frightening you, which obviously you don't have to tell us all here, but um, I would definitely explore it with your midwife. But, um, it really depends on what is the thing that's making you frightened and also it's unlikely you'll be able to have an epidural the second you have some contractions because obviously the labour is going to start at home and um, in which case you'll need to have some some things in your kind of I think it is a toolkit but um that's going to help you before you can go into the hospital but um, thank you for sharing that and also please please speak to your midwife because we should be able to help you kind of Overcome that before you give
2: there.
0: Thanks for listening. And for more information on the next class, please visit our website or email us helpingmums at mokey.eu. Thank you.